welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hi there, podcast listeners. This is Kathleen Hallisey from Hugh James. This is the Hugh James Talks About Abuse podcast, where we talk about things relevant to sexual abuse and sexual assault and rape and how they impact on our clients and the work that we do. Just to give you a trigger warning, we will be talking about some of those subjects here today. So if any of those might impact you and you don't feel up to it, then please use this time to perhaps sign off and go get in this weather a cold drink rather than a hot drink and um, take some time for yourself. But if you are interested and uh, feel able to listen, please stay with us. We have a fantastic guest speaker today. One of my personal heroes, as I've introduced him before, Ian Ackley. So if I can turn over to you, Ian, if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, thanks, Kathleen. Yeah, sure. As Kathleen says, my name's Ian Ackley. I'm a disclosed abuse survivor and first came forward in 1994 against my then alleged perpetrator, the football coach, Barry Bennell. I've contributed to multiple documentaries and tried to be as active as I possibly can through the years in respect of raising awareness around child sexual abuse and the level that I believe that we face in this country. And I've tried to contribute and add value where I can. At the moment, I'm a survivor support advocate for those survivors who have experienced any form of abuse in football. And I've worked with Kathleen in the past in a professional capacity with clients, mutual clients that we've had. Thanks, Ian. Obviously, you've had quite a journey having been a disclosed survivor since 1994. And I wonder if you could tell our podcast listeners a bit about your experience of being a podcast survivor, a podcast survivor, excuse me, an abuse survivor. And, you know, over the years, how that maybe has changed and developed. Sure. Yeah. I mean, originally, 97 was the first documentary that uh, contributed to Dispatch's Channel 4 piece, whereby a journalist afterwards, from, I think, The Telegraph, uh, Giles Smith said that it was scaremongering and unhelpful to suggest that this was anything other than an isolated incident. And to do so was reckless and dangerous. And as we know now, several decades later, what we were trying to say back then was accurate. Being denied that reality, that truth, had a huge impact upon me and my mental health and my well-being, not just over months, but over years and years. It's affected me, it's affected my family, my friends, my work. Uh, and it really, at some points, has consumed me. You know, it's led to very destructive, self-destructive behaviour. You know, I, I've fallen down the path of, of drink and drugs. Thankfully, come through that with the strength and support of my partner. But it's not been an easy journey. And when society itself and the organisations that you approach tell you that actually your reality isn't true, it really puts you in a very difficult place and it it put me in a difficult place and at the time there was no therapy available or counseling there were no services you just left to get on with life as best you could so that's what I did but to say that it didn't scar me or affect me would be a lie there's many things that have affected me 
deeply over the years, as well as things that also trigger certain emotions along the way. And being involved in actually a lot of this stuff, trying to raise awareness and, and, and say, hey, look, have a look over here at what's going on, is arguably some of the things that has caused further distress as people continue to deny that reality and that sense of being. Some have argued to me that maybe you're better off just turning away and walking away and forgetting all about it. I would argue and say to those people, if only it was so easy to be able to switch a knob or a, a switch to say on and off and to think or not think about something. The fact of the matter is this sort of stuff leaves an indelible mark on your life and often there is no choice in turning it on or off. Those thoughts are there and they become very consuming. What I have to say, though, is through that journey and through those difficult, very difficult times, I was lucky to have support of family and people around me, close to me, that were, one, prepared to tolerate some of that very destructive behaviour but also that stayed by me unequivocally and made it clear that their love and support was always be there. And through that, I was able to get through. And I'm not saying that everyone's fortunate to have that, but I think that often there is some form of hope that we can cling on to and hold on to that gives us that route to look forward. And ultimately, what, no matter what that is, whether it's a person or a sense of being or anything, that sense of hope is something that can really move us forwards. I wondered if, just thinking as you were talking about, obviously you said the Telegraph kind of denying your experience from the documentary in 1997, and now fast forward all these years later, we have the FA inquiry and the Sheldon report and what that felt like then for you as a survivor all these years later, decades really, right? For it to be recognized, this did happen and Barry Bennell is potentially the most prolific paedophile in British history. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? Very much double-edged sword. Yeah, I thought so. A, a sense of relief in, in the acknowledgement, a huge amount of relief for those guys that were coming forward that they weren't going to be put through that same process of denial. But at the same time, I still felt that this didn't actually apply to me. This was something that my experience wasn't really counted or, or noted for since 2016. And that's okay. I'm not that I hankered for that, but it left me with feelings of thinking, well, quite, I suppose, selfishly, what, what about me? What, what about all that stuff I was been trying to say for all this time? It caused a tremendous amount of impact. If it wasn't for my partner and my children, I'm not sure I'd be sat here, certainly in not this role that I've got now and in as well as I am. And I think the other thing as well that's helped enormously this time around is that very early on it was offered to me therapy and counselling and I, I leapt at that opportunity. And even now, what, we, what uh, three, four, five years later, something, I still attend my therapist regularly on the basis that I've used it to try and understand a lot of what's happening and what's happened and why I think how I do today and, and how I react, how I do today to certain things. But also that once I've got to a good place, also to figure out what makes me well, what keeps me well. And I always think that therapy can often be seen as half of a journey. It's about making people that are unwell better. Well, how do we, when they're better, ensure they remain better so they don't revolve back round to being ill and we have to re-engage with these people in the same processes and I think that getting to a well place is only half the journey and that's where for me the notion of starting to consider me owning survivorhood and not it not owning me sort of really started to be something I was curious about 
I was tired of that revolving door process of going to institutions and organizations. And in my work now today, I commonly get what I would say professionally gaslighted, whereby I challenge professionally another professional. And quite quickly in that conversation, that professional will often say, you know, I, I understand you have an investment in this and refer to the fact that I'm an abuse and a disclosed abuse survivor. And I have to shut that conversation down that I'm talking to people when they accuse me of being invested in in particular things at work and say, you know, and remind them that that's a label they're putting around my neck that I don't care to have. And I ask them to view me as a professional and an equal, not as as an abuse survivor. And some professionals find that a little grating and a little taxing. However, personally, I don't feel there's there's anything wrong. I think actually there's a call at the moment for disclosed abuse survivors who are in professional positions and have a capacity as a professional Mm -hmm. to make it quite clear that they are indeed as equal professionals. And the fact that they are an abuse disclosed survivor is only a part of who they are not the entirety. And this is where we come to trying to own survivorhood rather than it own me. What I mean really about that is the fact that rather than things affecting me and me being triggered or reacting to things, although I'm not denying that that happens, when it happens, realizing that I have a choice on what to do with it and that actually not all things are about the abuse that happened to me. Just as a parent of a child is primarily an adult and an individual. They then may or may not be in a relationship with someone of the same or opposite sex. They may or may not choose to have a child. Then how they parent that child is much about choice. My point being that we're multifaceted human beings and we're emotional creatures. Every human being has got different facets to their life, which we draw upon experiences and we learn. They often say that wisdom comes with age and by making mistakes. And actually, it's making the mistakes that gives us the wisdom. So in other words, it's the journey of the mistake making, the choices that gives us. So it's exactly the same. We draw on the different parts of our life and we draw inferences from those depending on how we view it. Now, Arguably, survivors may always look at it from that perspective of the survivor as hurt. And what I'm saying is, I believe it's an incredibly healthy thing, and certainly for me to do, to look at that unbalance and look at that as only a part of my life. I can still draw the experiences from it when I choose to. And that's the difference. A choice of looking at something consciously and then making a reflection on your experiences or not accordingly, rather than being driven by negative reminders or emotions that trigger certain negative feelings because of any condition or, or trauma that I've been through. I suffer from recurrent depressive disorder and, and is it chronic complex, complex PTSD? PTSD? Yeah. yeah, whatever that means. What I know for me personally is that it doesn't make any difference as to how I can manage myself. I'm not going to default and say... It's my anxiety, my depression. I I don't want to own it like a coat and wear it. I I want to say this depression is something that I experience. Anxiety is something that I experience. Therefore, I can apply strategies on how to deal with it, and it prevents other people viewing Ian as that thing. More importantly, it prevents me viewing myself as that thing and restricting my life opportunities. 
and start to be able to understand that I can add value just the same as any other human being. Being a survivor is just a part of that. Yeah, I think that's such a great learning point for professionals and and anybody who's working with or supporting survivors is that every person is multifaceted. And so part of their experience and part of their life experience is being a survivor, but that it's important that we don't pigeonhole a survivor into just that experience because they will have had fast life experience, I'm sure. And I think often from my point of view, it's a lazy way of responding to a survivor. It's a it's kind of the easy way out, I think, often for professionals to just kind of, oh, we know you're a survivor. And so that's why you have this perspective instead of looking at it as maybe you have that perspective because you're, you're a survivor, or maybe you have that perspective because you're a multifaceted person who's not just a survivor and also really valuing the survivor experience. You know, I think time and time again, we see with whatever is the most recent sexual abuse scandal that we see sadly in the news, say for example, most recently is Telford, that the experience is very similar to yours where people who were kind of at the beginning, way before their time as you were in terms of trying to raise awareness of the issue are denied and then live a long life of being a disclosed survivor and being constantly kind of diminished, I think, because of your disclosed experience. And how I just think it's amazing and how we ended up talking about this, that you've been able to really turn that into a positive and, and also put people in their place when they try and pigeonhole you. Well, I think it's important that we're not just classified as this group of people that are all broken and damaged. So yeah. now people might say, well, I've not hung on to a career. I, I would say that I've had to survive through life. I have the support of my partner, other than that, live in London, and I've had to adapt and change according to my needs. You know, I've been a market stall holder. I'm a qualified carpenter. I was a property refurbishment operative. I worked for a high-end building company. I was a set builder. I was a covert customs operative for the home office at Heathrow Airport. I worked for 20 years in social services and third sector and charities. I've ran and set up a charity. I was a professional footballer. You know, I play musical instruments and sing. I'm a dad of four boys. What else? I'm sure there's lots of other things as well. And I think that goes with every other person. That The whole point is there are many, many, many different yeah. facets to us. Yeah. I'm also a dad, a partner. You know, I've been with my partner for 33 years. There's so many bits of my life that, we, that I could draw on. Parts and and I think everybody does that. So every experience is learning. And... As long as we learn in life and we're moving forwards, whether that's a formal education or what might some say the university of life, the two big, to me, differences are is if you're a reflective person or a non-reflective person. If you're reflective and always looking to learn and you don't have blinkers on in life, then you will grow as a person and develop. If you don't, there's a chance you won't. Now, if you don't and you're challenged by somebody that is in a continuous position of growth, then I'm sorry, but it's your awkwardness. It's your uncomfortableness. And I use this phrase quite often, get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And what I mean is it's you that's uncomfortable, not me. So don't transfer your emotions onto me because you're uncomfortable. Put your big grown-up pants on and get used to it because we're adults. And I don't think it's right for people to project their awkwardness and their difficulty in talking about a conversation onto somebody else because they don't like it. If they don't like it, they can choose not to have the conversation. 
But I don't think they should be shutting down people who are trying to healthily make a stand about their own position, particularly where it's relevant. And by the way, what is wrong with somebody being aggrieved and upset at the way that they've been treated past by a professional or an organisation? I mean, that's often what we're talking about is when we're actually told that, you know, it's consuming us and we wear this label. It's often in a position where you're challenging a professional or an organisation and they will default to the fact that I'm actually taking it out of context and it's because of my overinvestment as a survivor. It's about cause and effect so, and I, I experience this often as a survivor. I ask a difficult question, either in a professional setting, but particularly in a professional setting. And the person shuts me down and denies that reality. And then I challenge that. And I have a Northern accent and I'm sometimes told I'm shouting, I'm raising my voice. So I'm not allowed to assert myself because I can be judged by the way I'm doing it. And But what the person is, is deflecting. And often when people feel defensive because they don't have a logical answer or they feel like they're going to have to give something away they don't want to and it's uncomfortable, they won't talk about the question that you're asking. They'll talk about the way that you're asking it or the way you're responding, they're responding to you or you to them. In other words, don't talk to me like that. I don't deserve to be spoken to. Show me some respect. Now, what this does, it deflects away from the question and the position you're asking onto your behavior. It becomes about your behavior as a survivor. And this is where the disproportionality comes in and people can be pigeonholed unfairly as survivors. And I would just ask professionals when you get to that situation or anybody who feels uncomfortable to just check why it is that you are taking that approach. Is it because you're uncomfortable with what you're being asked and actually you're asking to check yourself. I would ask you to think about that because I would say that quite often you are deflecting away from the point that the person is asking you and you complain about the way they're reacting to you not answering that question. You don't want that reaction, simply answer that question. Get used to being challenged. So I have experienced this in many different ways, personally and professionally. But I do think that if when as a survivor you're disclosing, you're trying to have these conversations, we have also got a responsibility. Yeah. And that is not just to kick off to the person that you're saying, wagging the proverbial finger, saying, stop being nasty to me, I'm a survivor, because we get into a he said, she said debate. I think it's more useful to just ask the person to think about the question that you're being asked and apologize if you have to and say and explain that you're not shouting or you're not over asserting you're simply challenging what the person is saying and ask them to just refer back to the question but stay calm and polite don't react to that person again because that's what the person wants in order to shut you down so they don't have to have the conversation so sometimes I think there's a responsibility to lead by example as a survivor in the survivor community where I have a privilege in a paid capacity as well as in things like this to meet with speak with people like yourself to say, hey, this is not a one-sided argument because often it's always put, it's a survivor argument or it's a professional's argument. I think with all things, there's two sides to the story and often somewhere in the middle is more akin to the truth. So... I think if everybody looks at this as adults on balance, we can all our own, own our little bits without putting it all onto one person's doorstep to be responsible. And 
we can collectively say, hey, it's okay to make mistakes or get this a little bit wrong because we're learning. Let's make the safe space to do that. And therefore, we can facilitate moving beyond labeling people as X, Y, or Z, survivors, victims, whatever it is. But if survivors stay entrenched and react emotionally to that reaction, then we're moving further away from the original conversation. Like I say, I often think it's worth taking a pause and a breath and focusing back on the original question, asking the person politely, just think about answering that question and not get drawn in wherever possible to that he said, she said debate. Because in my experience, it only fuels the fire and takes away any credibility from a survivor. Because unfortunately, we're not in an advantageous position. The organisation or the institution that we're trying to speak to is often in the position of authority or control. So we have to try and break down a perceived barrier or a real barrier in communication and perception of who we are. And that's where I say we need to take responsibility. And actually, I think owning survivorhood is a part of taking that responsibility. And I think that you have to go through a process of self-reflection and looking at what you've been through in your past and your experiences and coming to terms with some of that stuff. And I'm not talking about resolving it necessarily. Getting comfortable with the fact that Sometimes in life, we can only do so much things in life and then we have to move forward because there's no more that can be done, no no matter what the outcome of of that is. Because otherwise, it can create toxic elements to our life that are unresolvable. And actually, if you want to talk about surviving and owning survivorhood, the first and foremost thing we need to do is ensure that we've processed all those confused emotions as best we can and understand them as best we can through I would say therapy is the best forum. I was speaking to another survivor, a client the other day, and he said to me, I said to him, how are you getting on? I spoke to you in a while. He said, do you know what, Ian? He said, I'm in the best place ever. He said, you know, thanks for putting me in touch for with the, the helping me and the benevolent fund and this, that, and the other. He said, but the, the, the council, he said, he said, help me no end. He said, I used to have 6,000 things in my head. He said, I've now got six. He said, I know those six things will never go away, but I haven't got all those 6,000 things making loads of noise anymore. And now I can deal with those six things and I can put strategies in place and understand them and start to realize what that means. So when I get affected emotionally, I know how to control that and manage it without it impacting on my life in such a negative way. And it stops those destructive reactions. And to me, just summed it up perfectly. Yes, a survivor is having six or 60,000 or six million things in your head. All If we can get those down to a manageable number, then we can own it. Then we can control it and manage it and learn strategies. And, and I think that's what I mean about owning survivorhood. It's about getting and processing these issues that we face down to a manageable amount in an orderable sense that we can make use of them in a productive way where we add value to our lives, not feel that we take away from people's experiences. And, and in that sense, owning yourself like any responsible adult wishes to. Because we've got people that are, you know, we're having this conversation, but we're almost forgetting, we're almost assuming that the rest of society yeah. is emotionally mature and emotionally balanced and makes good emotional decisions. Well, I'm sorry, but in my experience, 
ordinary, well, say ordinary people, we don't know what experiences those people have had in their private life, but when we view them, some reactions and some ways that people behave emotionally are more reactive than any survivor I've ever seen <laughs> yeah, in my that's life. That's a good point. So, you know, on balance, now we, we default to every all, all of the humans that have, have got this emotional resilience. Well, that isn't true. Some people do, some people don't. I think with surviving childhood sexual abuse has more complications and complex issues, arguably a greater need to seek therapeutic intervention or counselling or support to process our experiences so it doesn't consume us and our mental health and well-being is impacted so we can't contribute to life, whether that being as a parent, a partner, or whatever that be. And actually, I think it's defaulting to the we have to take that step forward, that brave step of reaching out, seeking help and support, whether that's from a family member or officially, and processing what's happened to us, knowing that it wasn't our fault, we were children. And as adults, we can reclaim some of that through a a healthy process that doesn't have to see us in one position for the rest of our lives. We can grow as human beings into who we wish to be. Wow. Well, I don't think I can say anything more. You ended on a beautiful note, but just thank you so much as always for for coming on and talking to us. I just, I learn something from you every time I talk to you and uh, just thought it was really poignant when you were saying all these different things you are, dad, partner, you know, four sons, and just thinking most of what I talked to you about, I mean, we talk about a lot of stuff to do with this, but before this podcast, talking to you for advice about raising boys, you know, so, you know, I'm not talking to you from the position of, you know, you being a disclosed survivor. I'm just getting parenting advice from you. So, you know, just a small example, I think, for for people to just remember, survivors are not one thing. They're multifaceted. They're people just like us. 100%. So thank you so much as always. And I just want to mention if anyone is listening and they are impacted, please feel free to get in touch or there's topics or things you would like us to speak about or you would like to hear from Ian particularly on, please let us know and we'll be happy to take a look at that. And equally, if you're a survivor of abuse in football, particularly, Ian, as he mentioned, is a survivor support advocate and offers an amazing service. And you can get in touch with him at ian.ackley at the pfa.com. So thank you so much as always, Ian, and I will speak to you very soon, I'm certain. Thank you, Kathleen. Okay, take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.